Traveling across Israel with Class 20 of the Oklahoma Ag Leadership Program, I'm Ron Hayes. And pleased to have along with us today the Agricultural Tour Guide assigned to our group uh, for February of 2023, Colin Lutzoff. Uh, who uh, is a uh, dairy management specialist, has lived in uh, in Israel for 40 years. And, Colin, you were saying that uh, originally uh, you uh, are, of course, from South Africa. I am ex-South African, third-generation farmer in uh, uh, dairy farming specifically, or beef farming as well. And I have been a an agricultural consultant since the 20th. To, uh, since the year 2000. Before that, I was a dairy farmer on my kibbutz, Kibbutz Tzorah, which is right in the, the valley below Jerusalem, basically where Samson grew up. And uh, I've been consulting and uh, been guiding agricultural people for the last 15 or so years. Uh, and I'm very happily doing it, hopefully for the future. Right. So, so tell me, Colin. You know, may, maybe first of all, let's start with the fact that you've got a uh, a solid background uh, in the dairy industry. You've you've uh, you've uh, put a lot of years into being involved in uh, in, uh, in with with dairy cows. Well, you know, I've been really very lucky. I grew up on a farm. Uh, my father was a an interesting man, a huge farmer, very proud, a very bad businessman, but he was a good farmer. And it was something that we could never get away with. And I only had the opportunity when I got to Israel to actually see what farming and business was all about. Uh, after studying agricultural uh, management here in Israel, on both a financial and professional level, uh, basically I got more and more into the niche of actually making an agricultural farm into a good business. That was that was my niche that I kind of focused towards and took every opportunity, whether it was doing courses in America or doing courses in Israel, doing my, my uh, business de- uh, diploma here in Israel. In those days, it was just a diploma. Directing myself into that corner of the world where turning da- uh, dairy farming into a great business. Tell me, uh, what got you interested in becoming a tour guide? I think it was all by chance, really. Uh, even as a, a farmer, it was known in the Jerusalem area if anybody from overseas would come and needed an Anglo-Saxon to tell a little bit about farming, I was the go-to guy. I was uh, well-qualified. I was having showing great results both professionally and financially. And uh, it became... Uh, I became sought after from all different ministries of agriculture to tourist ministries, bringing people to see my farm and to talk to me. I think it actually turned the corner when I, I finished uh, my contract on on my farm and I had a visitor from Mexico that came to visit for five minutes and st- stayed for five hours, invited me to come to his farm. Uh, I guided him a little bit and uh, both my tour guiding formally and my my agricultural tour guiding and my uh, consulting started, and that was started in 2003. And ever since then, that's what I've been doing. You uh, have got a, such a wide variety of, of agriculture, so many different crops that uh, are grown in Israel. You've, you've got to kind of be a little bit of an expert on a lot of them. Well, actually not. We, we're very lucky in so much that we're smart enough to notice and recognize the different branches with the different qualifications. Uh, as a dairy farmer, I would not be really involved in the growing of silage and, and roughages. 
because it wasn't necessary. There was somebody else in the kibbutz that was going to do that. So I could concentrate in ordering the food, what our quality I was looking for, the quantity that I was looking for, and I'd make it as an order from my son community, but there would be a manager in that field. Yes, I'd get involved in the harvest time to see that I'm getting the dry, correct dry matter and I'd know the NDF and I'd measure and weigh every truckload that's coming in. But I didn't need to go in like I would have overseas, have to know everything on such a wide perspective. As, a, as an agricultural tour guide, I've learned a lot more along the way to be able to answer and go into depth with the knowledge of the people that actually worked in those branches. And you uh, obviously have set up you know, quite, quite a network of contacts of producers all over the country that allow you to show, you know, kind of showcase all of the things that are going on here. Well, again, I'm very lucky because uh, as, a, as an agricultural community all over the world, we always welcome people in the profession. I think, you know, salt of the earth people, down to earth. And whenever we can uh, give some information and give a bit of feeling and put the, the emotion into personalities, we do so. It doesn't matter where you live in the world. And Israel is the same. And we are a country that comes from a philosophy of sharing as much information as possible. Nothing is held secret. We want everybody within the community to benefit from any new uh, knowledge. And we're not shy or scared to share that with people that come from overseas as well. I think we've got something to give. We're certainly superior in our uh, skills in dairy farming and any other farming we we've had to be really revolutionary in everything that we look at in this country because of the lack of water and because of the amount of sun and all the stresses of uh, what's going on around geographically as well as politically so we've had to come up with some really interesting solutions that has rubbed off on us on all different levels you mentioned water you know, the, uh, one, one of the things that's been reemphasized over and over, they're all the stops that we've made, the, uh, the preciousness, the, every drop is, uh, is important that uh, you can serve. Well, it's absolutely right. We, we have been very uh, unspoilt when it comes to water. In, a, in fact, there were years that we were actually quite unfortunate with so many years of drought. And we've learned how to recycle every drop of water. I mean, 97% of our agriculture of crops, especially for the animal husbandry branches, is all recycled grey water. We have the most amazing centres that receive, clean, recycle and use with all the modern technologies of drip irrigation, of uh, close to the ground spraying, leaders in the world in these type of things because we had to be, not because we thought we were smarter than anybody else. We had no option and real good minds got together and created some wonderful uh, possibilities, potentials, even miracles. We've turned the desert green, the only country in the world, the only area in the world where desertation is getting smaller. We're actually making the desert green because of the value and the usage of water in so many different levels. You mentioned drip irrigation. That uh, I know that you're, you know, literally Israel is a world leader in that. Well, yes, Netafim and the drip irrigation system has taken the water that we have and increased its value by 90%. You, the evaporation is minimal. We could not afford, we could not be where we are today if it wasn't for drip irrigation. Simply as that, the amount of water that we did have, the amount of evaporation that we do suffer from on a, on a yearly basis, drip irrigation has saved the agriculture in this country. Absolutely, no doubt.
I know that you you mentioned, I think, uh, and you had some folks talk about the fact that literally there's been some, I guess, even governmental-type decisions of, hey, we've got to grow these crops, not these crops, especially for export, in order to make sure we have enough water. Well, again, government makes a decision, but the farmers actually come to the idea. You know, you, there's so much experimentation going around. Everybody is a smart person. They knew, they are managing sectors of the agriculture that require them to think out the box. And as soon as something really good comes and with the amount of water that we do have, we have harvests that are beyond expectation. Well, then we'll go that way. And it rubs off on everybody very quickly. Because of the kind of country that we are, we also can export those excess amounts of, of harvest if we are you know, beyond the needs of Israel, which makes everybody want to go and produce more on less ground, on less, with less water. So, yes, it's I know that uh, you know we've uh, we've been fascinated. This group has been fascinated by the uh, by the system of the uh, of the kibbutz. Uh, that that's unique. Uh, it's absolutely unique. And I, you know, I come from a normal upbringing on a, a in a normal home overseas, uh, where we had the farm, but we had the home that was uh, hugely looked after by uh, people that were working in, in the home. Uh, where people earned their salaries and people brought as much as they could back to the family. Here it's completely different. I gave all that up. I came with my wife at the age of 22. We settled on a kibbutz. Everything that we earned went to the community. Everything that we needed, we got from the community. That's changed over time. And now uh, it's much less socialistic and much more communalistic, whereby as we earn our salaries, we pay a tax to the community, and that's become a very attractive, and a lot of the children are coming back to the kibbutz. In fact, that change has saved kibbutz because it makes a new, a new framework for young people to grow their, their lives, raise their families in a, in a modern type of way, still be out in agriculture, still be out away from the cities. So kibbutz has changed over the last 70 years, and uh, thank God for that. I guess what uh, one one of the aspects of a kibbutz, though, is is the problem solving. In other words, so attacking problems, uh, whether it's drought, whether it's the the desert, whether it's uh, manpower. It seems like they, they, there are a lot of creative thinking has come out of this particular system. I, I think it's uh, it's the Israeli way. It's the Jewish way. We've always been uh, stuck in a corner, and we've always had to find the solution. So, you know, if we were to micro-scale it down to kibbutz, I guess that happens. But on a macro-scale, I think we all push forward. I mean, you know, kibbutzim, especially in the in the drier places, have it, the people want to live there for the challenge. There's no, there's no just landing up there. Uh, in my area, we were, you know, we're lucky enough to be in an area that, even though we only have 420 millimeters of rain, we have a valley that that can be um, deep in agriculture with minimum amount of water. In fact, we were one of the first kibbutzim in the country that recycled water. That was our claim to fame. We took water from the from the town next door, and we've recycled it. And the water belongs to us. As far as uh, people buying, actually paying us for the water, where in fact water is a government commodity, but that's the sweet water, that's the fresh water that comes through. So a lot of investment, a lot of experience, a lot of time in the recycle of the water. When it comes to actually using it, then we go into the expertise of a place like a company like Nitafim and use it efficiently as possible. Small country surrounded by uh, other countries that maybe don't really uh, like 
Israel very much, or doesn't seem like it anyway. How does that impact agri- or does it impact ag- agriculture? Well, again, I think there's a the level of what's happening politically amongst the countries that is one thing, and I think there's another level that uh, amongst people that want to move forward on another level, but they can't talk about it. Israel is definitely in a in a area of the world that is not uh, as comfortable and as controlled as other countries. The neighbors that are causing the violence to erupt in their communities, it's it's obviously a minority that's doing the damage for the majority, is creating an unfortunate reality. It has for the last 70 years. If we were as a people in this area, like the Abraham Accords, actually sit down and work together, I think we could turn this area into an oasis of absolute an absolute gem, but we have to get there. We have to get there. More and more of the Arab countries in the region are looking to Israel for technology, and we're willing to bring them into the fold and work with them. We uh, have seen clearly the the influence of the of Judaism, and uh, that that has impact on how agriculture operates because of the uh, of the rabbinic standards, the standards of uh, uh, being kosher. Uh, that, that really, uh, it, it makes a difference, doesn't it? I think it's, a, it's an added burden. You know, we've, we've got to be a little bit different and a little bit uh, more uh, intense in the kind of solutions that we're trying to find. It's created uh, a lot of tension when it comes to the amount of work you get and how much you have to do to get your product, whether it's a crop or a meat or whatever, to rabbinical standards, uh, a lot more losses which come to a lot more costs. But that's, it, that's what it is. You know, you've got to uh, either lean towards a, a veterinary health c- certificate on the one hand, uh, which is a standard, or you have to go for a higher standard, which is a kosher level, which is better, you know, different slaughter rules and different uh, inspection rules and all these type of things. And uh, that's the country we live in. And fortunately, unfortunately, we are people that kind of force ourselves to do the hard way. I believe it's not a choice that we make easily. The one operator that you you took us to see, the uh, uh, kind of a vertically integrated as far as they they're actually raising cattle, but they're also processing beef, selling it to consumer. They they've had to uh, solve some of those issues with those kosher standards, haven't they? Okay, so there, there's a real interesting model because they were losing money. They had to decide whether they were going to raise the cattle, slaughter them, sell it to the market, and that would be the value, the final value of their work. So they decided they're going to do things differently. They opened up a butcher. They'd sell the sell the the beef to the butcher to be slaughtered kosher. Bring the the meat back to the butchery, cut it to cuts that were required for kosher rules. And they are a store and a little restaurant, and they cover the full gambit of the of the full potential of the meat. So they gained a, a real good platform or they made a good platform for them to make the money and to survive in fact, and to, to survive and that's a moshav that has its place in the Golan Heights beautiful area but very very difficult to survive financially and they've made it different so they've found their way and that's really, it was a really interesting uh, visit, I was very impressed myself Wrapping up, what, what, what's, what's the future for agriculture in the nation of Israel? 
I think our problem is that the younger generation aren't coming back. Now, our future will depend on how well we can get them involved and how quickly we can make uh, a change. We're a high-tech uh, high country. We excel in that way. We've got to find the ways to bring high-tech into agriculture. More and more modern technologies are going to pull the younger generation into the management skills, into the productive skills in a way that makes it attractive. If we don't do that, agriculture will die in Israel. And that, that is the biggest challenge that we're facing at the moment. Thanks, Colin. Colin Lotsoff, the tour guide on the agricultural side of things for Class 20, the Oklahoma Ag Leadership Program tour across the nation of Israel. On the Oklahoma Farm Report from Israel, I'm Ron Hayes.